Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Good Grief, Idaho. I was thinking about this particular podcast and thinking to myself, good grief, one that's hard to do. Well, that comes from peanuts, doesn't it? They do say good grief a lot. Good grief. Did our parents say good grief? It would be laced with vulgarity. It would be good, expletive, deleted grief. Probably. Well, anyway, we're coming off a series that we did with our guest and friend, Jeff Troutman. And one of the things that got brought up, I think it was in the final episode of that series, was this notion of what's the most prevalent thing that leaders and people in organizations believe is a difficult communication situation or one that they find most trying. And consistently, we agreed it's these situations that we would either call conflict situations confrontation situations. And as you and I were thinking about that and the fact that we've covered so many of these issues over the course of the nearly two years of our podcast now, we thought it might be useful to come back and regroup and speak to a more generalized situation that we would refer to as emotionally charged communication situations. There are all kinds of situations that in one way or another, become emotionally charged. And when that happens, it creates an additional dynamic in communicating that we felt is worth addressing. We thought we might do a series on any number of these kinds of emotionally charged situations and just start by trying to characterize as many different situations that we think contribute to emotionally charged communication. Talk to me a bit about those situations you would characterize as emotionally charged. Well, I think one thing that listeners ought to at least consider is that sometimes you walk into a conversation where you are in advance emotionally charged. You are already hot. You are already in a tight spot emotionally where you're you're uncomfortable. I think we also ought to consider that there are times you're in the middle of a conversation and it becomes emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're they're a little bit different. In Mm -hmm. one, you can prepare for it. If you know you're already going to walk in and feel uncomfortable, then you can do some preparation. Uh, But when you're in a situation where it spontaneously occurs, where the emotions begin to rise to a level that become distracting and complicated in terms of handling them, then you might have to use a different strategy. I was going to say, so as we address these, thinking about the fact of, do I have time to prepare for the emotional nature of the conversation really gives us a different set of potential strategies than when I walk in and all of a sudden it's upon me. That's very useful. Okay. Keep firing away, Bear. You're on a roll, by the way. I think one of the situations that becomes emotionally charged quickly is when you've got to tell people things they don't want to know. You have to give them feedback on either performance or behavior that is not perceived as positive, and you've got to share that information. That can become a very volatile conversation to have. So what do you think contributes to making those particular situations emotionally charged? I guess my first impression is that most people don't feel comfortable with conflict. They don't feel comfortable with the potential there's going to be disagreement with the potential that someone's going to walk away very, very upset, or maybe both parties are going to walk away upset. And so when you walk into those situations, you're kind of prepared to encounter some resistance or some attitude. So you're already beginning to develop some internal tension. And then when the other does respond or how the other responds 
can trigger a whole different set of emotionally charged context in terms of most people don't respond well. They're not expecting information that they don't want to hear. And if they are expecting it, they may be working with the same internal tension. So their first behaviors, their first reactions are going to just contribute to escalating that sense of emotion in the conversation. Exactly. Some people come into a conversation with a script in mind that's already focused on hostility. And when you do that, one of the things that's clear is you're not prepared to listen. Mm-hmm. If you're the one who's afraid that you're going to hear something you don't want to hear, you're really not prepared to stay open to what's really being said. Okay. So we've got this one situation of providing information that people simply don't want to hear. Any thoughts about the form that might come in? Well, if you're at work and someone is giving you feedback on your performance, and it's really negative. Then I think about those situations where you're getting information that's embarrassing. Hey, you got something off the end of your nose. <laughs> Who wants to share that? I laugh at those those kind of ideas where you've got a zipper down or a blouse unbuttoned. Or when people have mentioned that to me, why would you embarrass that person by telling them? My comment is, they're already embarrassed. They just don't know it. It's just coming. I mean, if I don't tell them and they go to a mirror and they find out, then they're going to say, oh, no, I had that whole conversation with that on my nose or whatever whatever they feel the embarrassing feature is. When I was at Michigan State, I had a professor, Jared Miller, who taught a course on interpersonal communication. And this was one of the issues he brought up, just in terms of these kinds of situations where they're there, but people don't want to talk about them. So we're in this class and he's giving this lecture. And so he stands right in front of the class and pulls the zipper down. And then he says, you know, most of you are probably developing a sense of embarrassment right now because my zipper's down. He says, don't worry. I've got on all the right clothing. Nothing's going to happen. And in this course, we're three nuns. You know, I felt, I wonder how they're reacting. Well, it didn't take long for one of them who might have indeed been the mother superior says, you know, just put it away. Most of us are too old and the rest of us don't care. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Miller was not expecting that response. No matter what he was expecting, it wasn't that one. But he wanted to point out this notion, you've got these embarrassing situations that people are providing information and it creates a kind of emotion. There is an emotion involved. And so somehow we have to deal with that. And again, to the listening audience, what we hope to do is to go back through each of these situations and talk about what are the communication strategies you can use? What are the things you can talk about that can most effectively address this particular kind of emotionally charged situation? So you got another one? Well, I think the communication situation that's often emotionally charged is when someone's feeling under attack. Mm-hmm. When someone's feeling that they're being treated unfairly and the person doing the attacking is not someone they respect, mm. not someone they have enough confidence in to believe that it's warranted, mm-hmm. that, that they should consider it. Mm. Then that becomes a highly charged situation. You don't really expect that's going to turn into a normal conversation where you can hear each other out. Honestly, Bear, this is the one that I think is possibly the most significant or the one we all feel the most when we talk about emotionally charged feeling of being under attack can really up the ante in terms of the emotion involved and how charged it really does get. Now, you mentioned being under attack by someone who, how did you say it? I think what I answered was that the person is not someone I particularly respect. That's right. But they could be an authority. Mm. Mm. I mean, it could be someone I need to in a structural sense, to understand they are in a position of influence and power. Mm -hmm. So even if I don't respect them, it doesn't mean that we're equals in a structural sense. 
And even as we think about this, I think it's worth differentiating who indeed is the one that's causing us to feel under attack. Now, if it's someone important to us, that probably requires a different strategy than let's say it's someone who's brand new that we've never met before. And all of a sudden they just make some statement. I also want to say, Bob, one thing that occurs to me as we're talking is that there are different types of attack. I think the attack that I was referring to is equivalent to verbal bullying. Hmm. People can be verbal bullies. I often think of bullying as a childhood phenomenon. Mm. But I think all through life, you've got people who want to bully you. Mm-hmm. And often that comes in the form of conversation. Would you say that's in the same category as people who always have to do one-up? Yeah, I, I guess it does. I, I mean, one of my reactions is that when people are one-up, they're making it a competition. Mm. Or when people are bullying, they're just trying to get you to back off. They're just trying to get you to concede. And I think the difference for me is in in a conversation where I think someone is trying to be a bully, I tend to equate bullying with trying to make someone feel small. Mm. Mm. And if that starts to happen, I think, like you said earlier, that requires a different strategy on my part. Mm. I would never really encourage anyone to concede to. I would never really encourage anyone to, as a result of someone else's words, start to feel less about themselves than they went into the conversation with. Now, other thoughts, we had several that we identified. You want to name a couple others? What about on the positive side? About uh, highly charged emotional conversations that are positive. Where you feel strongly affectionate towards someone or you feel particularly drawn to someone. I think that charges the conversation. Sometimes those conversations become kind of awkward. My first thought is, well, my advice would be go for it. (laughs) <laughs> positive situation, hug, kiss, do what it is. Okay, let me, but let me say, I think sometimes in those situations, at least on my part, I tend to overpromise, overstate. Huh. I, feeling very good about the situation, I tend to want it to either continue or to enlarge or to get better. And so sometimes I have this tendency to not stay in kind of a normal mode and get into an overstatement, almost a zealousness that... After the conversation, I begin to say, oh, I'm not sure I, mm. that was the best thing to say or that I'm not sure I regret it as much as I say, I don't know if I can step up quite that far as, as I promised. That's interesting. Well, we'll have to see as we do these in the sessions uh, moving forward, how we would address that. Well, I think one of the ones flat out that we got a lot of questions on are performance reviews. I mean, in organizations, performance reviews seem to be inevitably emotionally charged. Now, you and I argue there's lots of ways to take that emotion out of it, and it shouldn't really be there to begin with. Nonetheless, when we talk with leaders, inevitably, they will identify as the emotional character of the conversation. And so I think we need to address performance reviews as a specific case of those emotionally charged communication situations. When people would talk to us about how do I communicate as a leader in certain situations, most often that they wanted advice or information on conflicts and confrontations. And so there are situations in which we're in a very confrontational moment. Other thoughts on your part? Yeah, one of the conversational situations uh, is in parenting. Hmm. From my perspective, I do recall a number of occasions with uh, both of my children, now adults, uh, where the conversation became very charged on both my side and theirs, because now it becomes a matter of dealing with not only the issue, but with rebellion, with levels of control, levels of influence, response in terms of feelings entirely inappropriate. And so I think of parenting as having a natural 
possibility of, of having conversations that are very charged. Yeah, I almost wonder if you were to give it percentages where the majority, 50%, 60% of parenting conversations are emotionally charged because of the additional dynamics involved, mm-hmm. the control issues, the authority issues, the issues that even if you're just providing a mild critique, the children will take exception to that so quickly. And you've also working with an inequality between the two individuals involved in the conflict, which I think that inequality contributes to sure. Dynamic that pushes that thing. So, yeah, parenting by all means. In fact, I would love to say parenting is maybe an episode in and of itself and maybe near the end in hopes that some of the things we build and talk about during the course of dealing with some of these other issues can also get addressed in this particular case of the parenting role. That'd be great. I tend to think that parenting conversationally changes frequently, mm-hmm. particularly as the children age mm-hmm. uh, when they're tiny. That's a non issue. You're the king and queen, and so you as parents have all the say. Mm-hmm. As they grow, and particularly when they enter adolescence, and there's that natural tendency to need to escape that control of the parents, then the conversations become particularly difficult and often not satisfying mm-hmm. and don't have satisfactory conclusions. And then there's the conversations you have with your children when they're adults. Yes. In terms of how you continue to be a positive part of their life, but not controlling. Well, and and you know what that brings to my mind is how difficult it is for the parent to let go of being the parent. And when the child gets to be an adult, they would love to have an adult-adult relationship. And yet the parent, maybe even unwittingly or unknowingly, won't permit that because they're still the mom. They're still the dad. And that primary role supersedes the kind of conversation you would have if it was adult-to-adult. And I see that a lot. I want to keep moving because we're actually pretty quick to running out of time. One of the other situations that I think it's become very clear in the last six years is uh, communication situations that are extremely divisive in the nature of the, the relationship. I mean, the political environment right now has been declared repeatedly as a divisive environment. I think as a result, all those communications that occur in those situations have an emotional charge to them. Sure. Yeah. Charged in before. I mean, you and I have talked about things like gun control and the whole racist issue and the whole critical theory issue, all those things. There isn't a political issue right now that I'm aware of that doesn't come with an emotional charge to it. And I'm not sure what we think about how you handle that communication situation, because you and I both know that we're not inclined necessarily to say, yeah, we're going to go the extra mile to take the extreme right and embrace them and bring them in which in one way is the kind of idyllic picture that we create of that's how you manage communication. So we may have to say, well, here's some other strategies for managing that kind of communication. I don't know. That's a tricky one. I think you're absolutely right. The divisiveness of our certainly political front, but of the the issues that we face, both between people and in the culture and have become so charged, to use our word, so negative. We often involve ourselves in abandoning Others were that would never even be an, an inclination. And today, rather than keep facing that difference, there is this preference to say, I just don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to deal with that issue that way. I don't want to deal with people who take that position. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's an occurrence that's become very, very difficult and charged. So, what we're going to have to think about in that particular context is what are the alternatives to simply withdrawing? 
that's the initial reaction. The way to deal with those emotionally charged, divisive situations, I'm just not going to be a part of it. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm just not going to engage. And so some of the things we have to think about, well, if we don't choose that option, what are the options available? Good, good idea. I guess the last one, and again, for the listening audience, we've just been walking through a lot of different examples regarding emotionally charged situations. And I think you raised this one, so maybe you can expound on it a bit. And that is when someone seeks support with an emotionally charged situation. It's not that we're in it, but someone comes to us, either as a friend or as a colleague, and they are emotionally charged. Thoughts on that in terms of that particular situation, what we might expect? I certainly think in terms of grief, that is an emotionally charged situation. Mm -hmm. And really people either who are experiencing grief or the people who want to support the grieving. That is not a natural, easy thing to do. You have to be particularly sensitive if you're trying to provide the support. And if you're in the midst of that, you have to realize that a lot of what you're thinking or saying is temporary. It is not permanent. And your your tendency for those who are grieving is often to withdraw. So that changes the nature of communication because you don't come out and you're not as interactive or as engaging. One of the things that you said that really stuck with me, generally, our first instinct or inclination is to fix it. Exactly. When we get in that conversation, we want to fix it for them. And that comes out of a genuine caring. And I think you and I's position is going to be is that should not be your strategy. Because oftentimes that can be the most offensive strategy is to presume that you can fix something that is either not fixable or this person hasn't tried. And the person has tried. So I think that one is a good one in terms of us talking through how do we avoid in those emotionally charged situations, always coming in there and thinking we're going to try to fix something. Yeah, I think that's such a perfect example of a great intent that will go awry. Here that I can walk up to someone or walk into a conversation with someone who's experiencing something that's very difficult for them, and I can fix it. Mm-hmm. That presumption, I mean, it's a, a well-intentioned presumption, but it couldn't be less effective to presume that I can fix what's going on for them. That's right. Well, listening audience, we hope we've kind of primed the pump. Can't imagine that anyone in our listening audience has not encountered at least one of these communication situations, which has emotional charge to it. In fact, I can imagine several people in our audience who have experienced them all. And so our hope would be that as we go about trying to address some of these, that it will be worth tuning in. So next week, the twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.